lecture seven on patience as the perfecter of our daily duties that on good ground are they who in a good and very good heart hearing the word keep it and bring forth fruit in patience st luke chapter eight verse fifteen that perfection of life consists in doing our ordinary actions well is one of the wisest maxims of the saints those duties make up the chief sum of our lives during the time allotted to us in this world as we owe our life and time to god the good christian has duties at all hours even the time which is properly given to recreation and health bestowing repose requires to be regulated by the virtues and therefore comes under the name of duty and that all the more because it is the time most exposed to insidious temptations it is seldom that we are called upon to do great actions or to endure great sufferings but when the hour arrives for them we shall be able to go through them in a great and generous spirit in proportion to the perfection with which we perform our daily duties the perfection of our ordinary actions depends on high motives good will and cheerful patience high motives give them their value before god good will makes them vigorous cheerful patience makes them orderly peaceful effective and pleasant for what gives our actions their value before god is not their visible magnitude their publicity or brilliancy but the purity and elevation of their motives and the generosity with which they follow the light and comply with the will of god they are ennobled by the sacrifice of nature to grace hence the poor man who goes to his daily toils with good will and cheerful patience for the love of god is a much nobler person in the sight of god than the man who from mere human motives shines with splendid actions in the sight of the world the one acts on a divine principle the other on a human one the one has his heart with god the other with the world the one has god for his friend the other has the applause of men the one may have a rude exterior but is inwardly refined by converse with god and his saints the other may have the outward polish of social life whilst his interior is a moral chaos the love of god dignifies the humblest work and the humblest workman what a breath and elevation belongs to the soul that can unite the lowest work that is done on this earth with the highest motive that reigns in heaven by his incarnation and human life the son of god has glorified the lowest things of human life and labour that are undertaken for god's sake labour thus motivated has received a special dignity from the patient toils of the son of god in the workshop of joseph how the humble things of god confound the proud judgments of the world that pagan philosopher was not far wrong who when asked what god was doing replied he is putting down high things and lifting up low things words that remind us of the whole tenor of the sublime magnificat we may accept it as a principle that whatever we do is perfect in proportion to the self-possession with which we do it and that self-possession is proportion to patience let us first take the labours of the mind st zeno observes with great truth that without patience we can neither learn nor teach it will even compensate for certain deficiencies in the power of apprehension and will greatly help the power of memory whether we learn from men books or things it is the virtue of patience that steadies attention and frees the mind from what interferes with or disturbs attention painstaking in short is patience it is patience that gives to insight the ability to penetrate through the details of a subject to its principle and this is the act of study 
first to reach the principle of the subject through the details of its statement and then by the light of the principle to understand the details and hold them in the mind as they stand related to that principle for to learn a subject thoroughly is to possess it in the mind in that order in which it exists and to know it by the principles on which it depends for it is the first principle of each subject that sheds light upon all the details that belong to it and when that is possessed by the mind it is not difficult to understand and remember the whole but without a good deal of patient attention it is impossible to ascend from details to their principle and to carry the light of that principle throughout the details understanding is proportioned to attention and reflection memory is equally proportioned to attention and reflection in his celebrated treatise on man buffon insists that patience is the foundation of genius some undiscovered truth looms obscurely and as from a distance on the mind thus far it is little better than a vague and indistinct conjecture the mind looks and looks waits and waits in patient expectation of more light at last light suddenly flashes on the understanding and your pen cannot go fast enough to record the discovery we should rather say with plato that genius is an original power of apprehension and that patience is the discipline in virtue of which that power of apprehension obtains its success sir isaac newton ascribed his success in discovery to the protracted patience which enabled him to think longer on a subject than other men had done when asked by what means he had arrived at his discoveries he replied i keep the subject constantly before me and wait till the first dawning opens slowly by little and little into a full and clear light again in a letter to dr bentley he says if i have done the public any service in this way it is due to nothing but industry and patient thought the greatest defect in modern teachers of science even in our own schools is the neglect to teach their pupils the right use of their faculties this was done in the college where the writer was trained some sixty years ago by occasional visits of professors to the students in their rooms when both logical and moral methods were explained in a kindly way and adapted to each one's capacity and progress such kindly visits were always an enjoyable relief as well as a friendly help the patience required of a good teacher is proverbial such a teacher requires a double patience patience with his pupils and patience with himself unless he have patience with his pupils he will never get at the measure of their capacity or attainments will never put them at their ease secure their attention or control their restlessness he must have patience above all with dull and irresponsive heads leading them step by step as far as they can go and not expecting from them what is beyond their power he must also remember that where their will is good they often suffer much from the consciousness of their deficiencies and require encouragement rather than further humiliation but when pride accompanies superior intelligence it is apt to be unjustly harsh and discouraging the quick-witted oftener require the bridle than the spur to save them from overrunning their subject or turning their minds into devious paths unless the teacher have patience with himself he will be unable to secure the respectful attention of his pupils and will commit notable errors against method in his teaching he must keep back much of his knowledge and not let it come before its time that is when his hearers are prepared for its reception knowledge communicated before it can be knitted into the knowledge already possessed perplexes and confuses the mind and gives occasion to discouragement 
hence great thinkers are seldom well suited to teach the elements of knowledge their own last thoughts occupying them much more than the first thoughts of their pupils both kinds of patience are essential to sound judgment in teaching a cheerful patience conciliates attention and awakens interest a kind and genial patience inspires affectionate confidence and is the best means of securing a loving and industrious response to the labors of the teacher young people are quick to discern where strength of will is covered by a kind and sympathetic interest in their progress and on both sides attention and painstaking are proportioned to the kindly patience which the teacher possesses and inspires in those higher branches of study where abstruse science is concerned the true professor will not confine himself to his lectures but will take a kindly interest in each one's progress and give him those private helps which may enable him to use his mind to the best advantage it is wonderful how much a slow mind may be encouraged by such help and sympathy in every occupation and pursuit success depends on taking pains but painstaking is only another word for patient and persevering industry which always costs more or less of pain to our nature this pain arises from the restraint imposed upon the restless senses from the resistance that attention gives to the tendency of the mind to wonder and from the fatigue resulting from the tension of the nerves and faculties after a certain length of time whatever may be the aptitude for any special pursuit be it study art teaching management government or manual work of whatever kind the chief moral ingredient of painstaking is patience it may therefore be taken as a maxim that every work is perfect in proportion to the amount of patience put into it here we have all the difference in art between mechanical and manual productions beyond the original design of the inventor what is produced by machinery is as dead as the machine itself whilst manual work vibrates with the life mind and imagination of the artist and offers some expression of the loving patience given to the work the one is a material the other a moral production and what delights us in the last is the expression which it conveys to us of mind will and feeling in his description of the virtue of patience st bonaventure includes the willing and unconquerable endurance of labour with a view to the eternal glory this implies the putting of the christian virtues into our work in their due proportion to its character nothing however trifling can be done well without good judgment there are fifty ways of doing anything but only one perfect way judgment is an act both of mind and will of mind considering of will deciding what is best but nothing is rightly judged where personal fancies or selfish feelings are allowed to mix in the consideration of it they warp the judgment and confuse the object under consideration whether in work in employments in the management of affairs in doing justice to others or in the offices of kindness and charity patience is required to secure sound judgment nature is always inclined to hurry to run before judgment and avoid the least pain of suspense but grace is deliberate and conscious of responsibility keeping down selfish feelings and excitements that deliberation may be just and prudent to work with judgment is to work with intelligence but this implies thinking before acting and delaying when needful until the right way of acting is understood to work fruitfully is to work with a patient will fretful haste damages both the work and the workman there is no healthy energy without endurance haste is waste and there is much truth in the adage 
the more haste the less speed lord bacon gives the saying of a shrewd old man of business who whenever he saw any one in restless hurry over his work interposed with the remark wait a little there is no time to lose all good work bears upon it the impress of judgment painstaking and patience and everything we do reacts upon our own moral character what we do well is embalmed with the motives and virtues with which it is done what we do poorly or reluctantly leaves us personally all the poorer patience is especially needed where some knot or entanglement comes up in our work for when we are in the swing and content of our employment such interruptions are apt to worry and tease the mind and put us out of time and temper the very triviality of such unexpected impediments becomes a cause of annoyance and will interrupt our calmness with irritation and impatience it offends our self-complacency to be stopped by trifles in the full course of action and calls for a little more patience than at the time we are willing to give but let this be observed that those rubs and teasing impediments are valuable moments for self-discipline and that to use them well is no trifling thing they who are patient with obstacles will be patient when the work runs smoothly such hindrances are in the nature of the work and there is no reason for being offended with them although many people like unreasoning children get angry over the innocent work when the fault is in themselves what has been said of work whether mental or manual is equally applicable to persons their interruptions interferences and meddlings are often trying to human nature and require the patient management of the will to save us from inward perturbation when unexpectedly interrupted in matters of gravity or in which we are interested we require no little patience to save us from being internally annoyed and vexed and to be thus suddenly called off from one thing to another or from one unfinished duty to another is often trying to an undisciplined temper there are few greater proofs of a well-disciplined interior than to be able to break off at any time with cheerfulness from one duty and turn with equal cheerfulness to another however unexpected the interruption may be it is an effect of that detachment of will that comes of patient charity the management of affairs embraces the prudent guidance both of persons and of things so as to keep right order in things and observe justice to all persons concerned in them but to establish right order in things confused and to keep right order in things that tend by their nature or through human negligence to disorder demands much patience as well as judgment where affairs are complicated or obscure to the mind owing to want of information impatient haste will only augment the difficulty and prudent delay will bring them sooner to an end whilst consultation will greatly contribute to their elucidation for when we have recourse to consultation it is not only the light we obtain from others that helps us to see more clearly but the greater light we elicit from our own minds by speaking the subject out than we are able to get from merely revolving it within the mind whenever the interests of others are mixed with our own unless patience is there to withhold the mind from selfish motives and restrain the will from selfish emotions justice can scarcely be fairly dealt to all concerned the same interior rule will hold good in the distribution of kindness and attention to those who have claims on our encouragement patience must withhold the will from all preoccupations prejudices and preferences of favouritism lord bacon has wisely said that patience and grave hearing are essential to justice when a superior has to deal with accusations or complaints 
the first thing to be done is to put the mind in a judicial position so as to hear the statements on both sides with a mind divested of all colour and bias and thus take a purely objective view of the case until the matter is investigated and the facts are made clear this is the patient charity of justice which acts not from passion but from reason and makes large allowances for human limitations and weaknesses where there is an absence of malice and scandal for mercy should ever be exalted above judgment where the heart is submissive to authority that our offices of kindness and charity may have all their sweetness beauty and consolation they must proceed with direct simplicity from the love of god in the heart the love of god is the most earnest and practical of all things and when it is devoted with sincerity to the service of our neighbours it places us in a sublime position that has more of heaven than of earth in it and the value of our kind actions is greatly heightened by that patience which conquers every repugnance in our own nature in its principle the love of god embraces the love of all mankind in practice it embraces all with whom we come in contact and whom therefore we call our neighbours but its most fruitful exercise is towards those who owing to their ignorance sufferings or distress stand most in need of our loving help god loves each and every soul with an eternal love so great that he has constituted himself the supreme object of their love and happiness and when with great cruelty to themselves they seek not their happiness in him he still continues to be to them the sovereign good that they ought to seek then what nobler charity can there be than to help their return to their sovereign good god is patient with all souls and good to all souls and we enter into his charity when we imitate his patient love towards all that come within our sphere of action by nature our affections are attracted to some persons are indifferent to others and are drawn back with dislike and repulsion from others often on slender grounds but our divine lord makes his gift of charity as expansive as his own that it may embrace every creature that he loves and for whom he died that the gift of charity may be extended to all he has added to it the gift of patience that by its aid we may conquer every repugnance that might otherwise rise up in our nature to hinder the expanse of charity and that through patience we may carry our charity to its full extent and raise it to its most ennobling height he has given us this law you have heard that it has been said thou shalt love thy neighbour and hate thy enemy but i say to you love your enemies do good to them that hate you and pray for them that persecute and calumniate you that you may be the children of your father who is in heaven who maketh his son to shine upon the good and the bad and reigneth upon the just and the unjust st matthew chapter five verses forty three through forty five but this law of supernatural charity invites us to a triple conquest and a triple triumph over the hardness of our nature a conquest by endurance over the wrongs inflicted upon us a conquest by patience over the repugnances of our nature and a conquest by generous love over those enmities of nature which contract the heart that it may expand in charity to those who love us not that this sublime love which raises the soul to god and makes us like to him may have its generous sway unimpeded by our irritable nature unopposed by the repugnances of pride unchecked by the loathings of self-love god has placed the strength of patience within the fervid gift of charity as the pith and marrow of this heavenly virtue 
that whenever nature rises with its selfish fears and disgusts against the expansion of the heart in charity patience may be ready to resist the swelling repugnances of pride and leave charity its generous sway every duty calls for more or less of care that is of attention and consideration proportionate to its nature matters of graver importance especially if they present difficulties call for solicitude that is for a wakeful and watchful attention and thoughtfulness in a mind well regulated by patience these are peaceful operations that cause no disturbance to the soul there is indeed a care and a solicitude for the things of this life against which our lord gives us solemn warning because they choke the divine seeds of life and grace implanted in the soul and reverse the due order of things which requires that we seek first the kingdom of god and his justice but this is a solicitude that belongs more to anxiety and to peaceful watchfulness of mind beware of anxiety the very sound of the word anxiety is painful next to sin there is nothing that so much troubles the mind strains the heart distresses the soul and confuses the judgment it is worthy of remark that the words anxiety and anger come from the same root they are both derived from the latin verb angere to overstrain or strangle which in its substantive form is anger which means anguish or vexation anxiety is the uneasiness and trouble of mind to which we give way because of some difficulty of which we cannot see the solution or because of some uncertainty respecting oneself or another or because of some future event of which we are uncertain it is more than uneasiness and disturbance more than solicitude and trouble it is attended with fear and perplexity and inclines the soul to sadness it has a certain paralyzing influence compressing the soul with the ligaments of fear suspense and uncertainty that impede and stifle the freedom of her powers st gregory describes it by a strong figure as strangling the throat of the mind a modern writer has described it as fright spread thinly through the soul anxiety is not in the things about which we are anxious it has its existence in a combination of passions raised up in the soul it is caused by taking our solicitudes and uncertainties into our own interior and there making them the subject of our troubled disquieted and overstrained feelings the result of this being that the mind is obscured and the heart made restless so that no clear judgment can be formed on the subject of our disquietude in some respects anxiety has a considerable resemblance to scrupulosity it produces a like obscuration of mind a like torturing pain of heart a like fear and suffering from uncertainty and a like troubling of the soul's peace scrupulosity is in fact one of the most painful and disturbing kinds of anxiety some persons are by nature anxious as others are by constitution scrupulous and in both cases there is a tearing and a wearing of the spiritual man and what st gregory in a strong figure calls the strangling of the throat of the mind hence st francis of sales has observed that anxiety is the most injurious of all things to the soul next to sin there is but one remedy for anxiety and that is by using the firm force of patience to keep the objects of our solicitude in their proper place and that place is outside of the feelings and before the mind for it is not the feelings but the mind and will that are the true judges of things when the feelings get mixed up with any subject of solicitude they turn into passions and become eager excited and restless 
they confuse the mind and blind the judgment we know when we are thrown into this state of anxiety through the trouble and disturbance of the soul and the obscuration and uncertainty of the mind when we find ourselves in this state of troubled uncertainty and indecision the subject of our anxiety should be dismissed altogether from the mind for a time that it may be resumed when the feelings have subsided and the mind is clear this again is the work of patience and one that requires no little firmness of will because if the eagerness curiosity fear and restlessness which stir up anxiety are not altogether suppressed it will be impossible to recover serenity of mind and tranquillity of soul then suspense itself is painful and especially when assaulted by any of the above-named passions and this again demands enduring patience but when we have obtained a calmer temper and a better control of our feelings on returning to the subject it will be for patience to keep the feelings in subjection whilst the will puts forth the attention of the mind without disturbance when things external to us are thus kept in their external and proper position outside the soul they are much more capable of being seen through understood and dealt with what is not seen through on a first consideration will be seen through on a second or on a third provided the mind is not troubled with the passions of anxiety but if difficulties still remain it is then time to have recourse to some prudent adviser who from his more independent position may be able to see into the case more clearly besides the anxieties which fret and injure souls on account of external persons and things there are but too many that have their origin in internal troubles owing to the want of interior self-discipline and of that interior patience which is the keeper of peace but for this kind of anxiety we have given rules in various parts of these lectures and they not unfrequently require obedience to a wise director all that we shall say further at present is this that every advancement in humility and patience removes the causes of anxiety and trouble because they all have their roots in the restless impatience of sensitive self-love st francis of sales has written so wisely on the spirit in which we should manage our affairs that nothing so good can replace his maxims he observes that the care and diligence which we owe to our duties are things very different from anxiety and eagerness our guardian angels have diligent care of us this belongs to their charity but they are not anxious they are not eager with excitement for this would interfere with their peace and happiness be careful be diligent in all that is committed to your charge god has entrusted these things to you and expects you to manage them with great care but avoid as far as possible all disquietude anxiety eagerness and hurry because these disturb the soul's peace trouble the reason and the judgment and hinder things from being well and successfully done our lord did not rebuke martha because she was diligent in his service but because she was solicitous and troubled about many things nothing done with eager excitement can ever be done well flies are not formidable by their strength but by their multitude so great affairs give us less trouble than smaller affairs when they are numerous take them up in peace and in their order one by one for if you try to take them all together or in a disorderly way they will oppress you they will dishearten you and you will do nothing that is effective and satisfactory in all your affairs and responsibilities rest wholly on the providence of god who alone can bring your plans to a happy conclusion 
yet do your own best in a peaceful way to follow the guidance of god's providence and then be assured that if your trust has been in god whatever success you may obtain will be all the more profitable to yourself whatever you yourself may be inclined to think of it the reverse of eager solicitude and disturbing excitement is found in sadness and sloth these corrupt and corrupting vices are directly opposed to patience as well as to charity they stagnate the soul and corrupt its fruits the fathers and the divines of both the eastern and western church include these two vices under the one name of acedia thus intimating that sloth and sadness go together st bonaventure gives another reason why they are both expressed by the same word because they are both enemies of religious devotion in its primitive sense the word acedia signifies a fainting or failing through weakness but here it signifies a fainting of the soul through the weakness and languor that is caused by the vice of sadness charity delights in spiritual and divine good but slothful sadness sinks the soul into self-love and egotism there it breeds an antipathy to all divine and interior good and the soul whilst adhering to sensual self-love is unwilling to rise from it to seek the divine good and adhere to it with love so that there is even a certain loathing of that good owing to the corruption of the spiritual appetite by the disease of self-love hence this vice is opposed to charity as well as to patience when it destroys charity in the soul it is mortal when it only weakens charity it is venial but even in its venial form this vice of sadness is very enfeebling and so subtle in its movement that pious souls are often deceived by it and mistake sadness for regret over their failings and deficiencies but sadness proceeds from self-love regret from the movement of grace sloth is defined to be a torpidity of soul neglecting to begin what is good sadness is defined by st thomas to be a weariness of and a moroseness with respect to internal and spiritual good to which these words of the psalm are applicable their soul aboard all manner of food psalm 106 verse 18 in our catechisms it is placed as one of the capital sins under the name of sloth and is called a capital sin or vice because it is the head or immediate cause of other sins or vices for as the effect of charity is spiritual joy the effects of sadness or spiritual sloth are malice spitefulness pusillanimity despondency torpidity and wandering of the mind from good to evil thoughts such is the fertile brood of brooding sadness all its offspring partake of its moral deformity if we put together what the fathers say of sadness it is an unnerving grief and a wearing anxiety of soul that hinders cheerfulness extinguishes spiritual joy makes prayer insipid and spiritual duties distasteful whilst it issues in a sluggish and impracticable temper and produces the immoral and unhinging disease of sloth what we are told of st gall is equally applicable to all the saints he was joyous in action and bland in speech because sadness was a stranger to his heart we are informed by st gregory in his life of st benedict that one of the disciples of that patriarch of religion had given himself up to satan through the vices of sloth and sadness but the saint applied such a prompt and severe correction that the disciple was delivered from both vices at once the cause of sadness is either wounded pride or disappointed self-love or unreasonable anxiety cassian distinguishes two kinds of sadness 
one of which follows upon exhausted anger or upon some injury received or imagined to have been received or upon having been hindered or defeated in something that we desire the second kind descends as a distressing load upon the heart from unreasonable anxiety or despondency of mind like a worm within the soul this miserable vice gnaws and consumes the joy and strength of the virtues whilst the soul herself contracts and shrivels up like a leaf attacked by blight to quote its accurate description from cassian sadness makes the spirit on which it seizes bitter impatient obdurate full of rancour full of pain grief affliction and despondency it breaks down exertion stands stupefied against the entrance of healing sorrow and repentance destroys the efficacy of prayer and empties the soul of the fruits of the holy ghost under the influence of this morbid languor loneliness is preferred to the converse of society so that self-love which is the loneliest of things may be fostered in brooding melancholy for notwithstanding the pain of the malady a gloomy pleasure is extracted from the intense egotism that sadness generates the mind swarms with unpleasant fancies and delights in odious comparisons the bright cheerfulness of others is looked upon with sinister eyes as if it were an insult to the misery which the sad one loves to cherish whilst sympathy is longed for it is felt to be odious because pride predominates and to pride the sympathy of others takes the shape of commiserating our weakness peevishness and sullenness are the first steps into sadness and already partake of its obstinacy and gloom sadness is opposed to spiritual joy and patience is opposed to sadness the sorrow which is according to god has nothing of sadness in it it is a healing sorrow that as st paul says you may suffer damage by us in nothing because as the apostle continues the sorrow that is according to god worketh penance steadfast unto salvation two corinthians chapter seven verses nine and ten like convalescence after sickness this sorrow is full of comfort and consolation the vital powers are reviving under its influence and restoring the glow of charity blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted st matthew chapter five verse five but whilst the sorrow of repentance expands the soul into life the sorrow of sadness contracts the soul and closes her in upon herself swathes her with the bandages of bitter self-consciousness and shuts out all generous movements there she feels herself tastes herself loves herself and is unhappy on that which feeds her the remedy for all this misery is to break out by some resolute act of will from the delusion to which the soul is bound by the clammy unction of self-love a puff of wind breaks the soap-bubble and an act of kindness breaks down sadness it is justly observed by st bernard that a diversity of occupations is a great remedy for sadness this is happily provided for in the rules of religious life but in every state of life the principle of variety should be consulted variety refreshes both mind and body and prevents too much self-absorption change of occupation and change of surroundings bring change of mind relieve the system and restore its balance one cannot too much insist upon the duty of keeping all cares and solicitudes outside the heart and feelings of holding them firmly in their objective position and of making them solely the objects of the mind and judgment it requires a good strong habit of interior patience to withstand their seizing on the affections but this shows the extreme value of interior patience 
for unless we have this interior patience so that we can take them up and lay them down at will our solicitudes and cares will become anxieties will harass wear and obscure the mind and greatly disturb the peace and serenity of the soul how many persons have suffered both mental and moral derangement owing to this want of patient method in managing their cares there is one form of sadness which is criminally prolonged by the dwelling persistently on the memory of some great affliction loss or disappointment to the unhinging of the soul and the neglect of present duties the image of that event is kept before the mind with all its circumstances and is allowed to oppress the heart until the features bear the fixed stamp of a cherished sorrow what is worse that fond entertainment of saddened memory prolonged through the years is mistaken by the mourner for virtue as it seems to imitate the virtues of constancy endurance and perseverance the understanding is misled as well as the heart by this enduring strain of self-love and sadness but this is a sin against the providence of god whose hand is in all events against the soul herself whose powers it unnerves and depraves and against that cheerful performance of our duties for which the soul loses her freedom by brooding on events past recall it may be taken as a maxim that whatever fosters selfishness disposes the soul to sadness there is a habit of self-introspection too much indulged in by many well-meaning persons that is disastrous to the spirit of religious cheerfulness and generosity self-knowledge is invaluable yet it is not obtained by peering into our own darkness but by seeing ourselves as we are reflected in the divine light we shall never find what we are by dwelling in our own troubles and making them whilst we are dwelling in them but by getting our minds above them and dwelling on the goodness of god when that divine goodness will teach us what we are by comparing ourselves with him but when we dwell on ourselves alone and dwell in ourselves apart from the view of god the truth is hidden from us and we feel nothing but discouragement souls that act thus cling to themselves discouraged saddened and disheartened with their eyes bent upon their own breasts they see but themselves and that in the shallowest way it is only by looking to god that they can see themselves truly know yourself says st catherine of siena not in yourself but in god and god in you then you will find what in the sight of god you are much and solicitous occupation with oneself produces much consciousness of oneself and this breeds a sense of self that greatly interferes with the sense of god it gives not the true but a fictitious sense of oneself through means of the imagination so that we alternately hug our self-complacency and our miseries instead of looking with cheerful confidence to god for their remedy for instead of cleaving with the heart to god such souls cleave to themselves with self-love and suffer more from the subtleties of sadness than they know they are afraid to quit the sandy shores of their nature and to leave the sense of themselves behind them that they may launch forth in generous faith and confidence upon the ocean of god's goodness and mercy moreover this incessant self-introspection and consciousness of self greatly impedes the spirit of duty as well as of devotion these laborious self-inspectors cannot have that very good heart which hearing the word of god keeps it and brings forth fruit in patience for that very good heart is unselfish open loving patient cheerful generous seeking not her own but what is profitable to many and diligent in all duties for god's sake 
this clinging to self-consciousness leaves patience defective humility defective and charity defective for how can one be subject to god or adhere to god when internally engaged with the feeling of oneself rolled up into oneself like the snail in its slimy shell the soul can neither open herself to god nor to her neighbour she is too much engaged with her selfish feelings to look to god with serene eyes or to feel after him with the loving heart and the soul suffers suffers from internal corrosion suffers from depression and sadness suffers from irritation and impatience suffers from the want of a diviner air to breathe in suffers from anxiety and loss of cheerfulness but the cheerfulness of patient charity better than all those anxieties of self-introspection better than all those cleavings of self-love to self would keep away temptations and evil and purge the fancy of its megrims the irritability which in idle and self-conscious persons produces so much disorder would find its legitimate escape in useful works and services consulting the health both of body and soul labor disciplines the will to patience and endurance endurance what a power is expressed in that word endurance holds the will with firmness to god despite of every discouragement that moves in our nature endurance bears up the will in patience against every pressure of disagreeable and mortifying things endurance holds the soul intent on her good works and resists every temptation to quit good for evil endurance holds high the will above the movements of irritation fear or disheartenment and by its solid strength repels the degrading solicitations of our animal nature endurance stands firm and loyal to the love of god amidst trials disgusts and sufferings endurance holds back the soul from the grasp of sadness in a word endurance bears all things that must be borne with regardless of the pain and pressure of the time and by the virtue of patient endurance the gift of god we possess the government of our souls and keep our peaceful recollection in the face of all our adversaries but as we have so often repeated and cannot too often repeat because it is the fundamental principle of all that we are teaching this patient endurance entirely depends on the adhesion of the soul by her centre to god which must be maintained amidst the duties of life and in our combats with our trials the soldier well drilled in the use of his weapons and the movements of the field is always ready for battle confirmed by the strengthening grace of the holy spirit we are the soldiers of christ and by the daily exercise of patience and endurance we are prepared for the hour of trial which for us is the hour of combat to be unprepared is to ensure defeat when passion has swollen to its height it will listen neither to rule nor reason pride and folly are its only counsellors to use plutarch's illustration a man in the swell of passion is like a house on fire full of smoke noise and confusion he is deaf to everything but the din and clatter of the flames that rage within him but when like the falling wrecks of that fire his passion sinks down into sadness it fills his soul with choler bitterness and moroseness the will is displaced and does dismal things but whoever is well disciplined in interior patience will detect and quell the irritation before it can develop into passion the great remedy for sadness is prayer for as sadness arises from a morbid clinging to oneself prayer is the most effective way of detaching one from that inordinate self-adhesion and of drawing us off from oneself to god 
whilst it obtains the grace to overcome this vile clinging to one's own disorder is any one of you sad says st james let him pray st james chapter five verse thirteen but as it is in the nature of sadness to loathe the remedy of prayer this can only be begun by an effort and by beginning with vocal prayer which as the soul becomes freer and more detached from self will lead to mental prayer there is a quality of endurance which owing to its great value as a discipline of the soul calls for special remark that quality is the power of waiting whenever the mind is anxious or in a state of suspense and uncertainty it finds that state painful and restless and has a disposition to rush out of it into action but as this action is without due light and is unreasonable it is sure to commit us to some folly a soul that is patient waits with calm endurance for light before acting and in virtue of this calm and patient endurance suffers no pain or anxiety because the soul possesses herself and waits for light and when the mind waits patiently for light sooner or later it is sure to come trials of the mind affect us more deeply than pains of the body and if we give way to anxiety such trials become troubles and are immensely increased but this cannot happen to those patient souls who regardless of human respects feel that they are in the hands of god and are encircled with his fatherly providence and that all things are in his disposal when we see not our way through some trial or difficulty we have only to look to god and to wait in patience and in due time his light will come and guide us this very attitude of waiting this very patience of expecting will dispose the mind to receive and the will to rightly use the needful light whenever you are perplexed as to what course you should take if you go blindly into action you will be sure to repent of it wait for light wait with patience and light will not fail you but to delay where you ought to act is the very opposite to the spirit of patient waiting when you put off until to-morrow what you ought to do to-day and can do to-day this is not the waiting of patience but an unwillingness to exercise the patience required for the duty when placed under some trial that afflicts and pains the soul patient charity will recognize the will of god sent in this shape for the discipline of the virtues seek not to escape from it but remember the words of our lord take my yoke upon you wait with patient endurance the deliverance of god and this will greatly augment your virtue to abide under the trial with cheerful resignation will strengthen and sweeten your soul my yoke is sweet and my burden light the cross that is heavy to impatient anxiety is light when borne with patient love because he who gives the sensible burden gives the secret strength to bear it sweetly there are trials laid on devout souls from which every drop of sensible sweetness seems to be extracted the one sense left is the sense of desolation in this most purifying trial the suffering soul shares her lord's desolation on the cross yet is there a way still left to see the will of god to acquiesce in the trial to understand its justice to wait with patient endurance the coming of god and meanwhile to see the hand of god great is the pain the privation and the pressure yet the soul can desire and pray and feel her poverty abiding in the resigned attitude of waiting and endurance and she is conscious of the divine wisdom expressed in the words of ecclesiasticus wait on god with patience join thyself to god and endure that thy life may be increased in the latter end 
ecclesiasticus chapter two verse three magnificent is the patience of faith under such a trial well endured and the more so because the sufferer sees not the virtue of his endurance it is only beheld by the helping angels what the soul sees is her native poverty what she desires is the divine goodness what she feels in the depth of her spirit is an infusion of the gift of endurance then will the heart say to god with the psalmist hear o lord my voice with which i have cried to thee have mercy on me and hear me my heart has said to thee my face hath sought thee thy face o lord will i still seek turn not thy face from me i believe to see the good things of the lord in the land of the living expect the lord do manfully and let thy heart take courage and wait for the lord psalm twenty six verses seven through nine thirteen and fourteen see how the soul is drawn to god by the trial that only seems to take her from him the voice seeks him the heart seeks him the face seeks him the wants of the soul seek him the desolation seeks him patience pleads endurance pleads the expectant waiting of the soul pleads and love pleads in them all and when all these pleadings have purified the spirit and drawn every purified desire from self to god then god shows his face to that soul in the great benignity and sweetness of his visitation <music>